Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them with me this morning, uh, turning to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And uh, this is a week, I've, I've said this from time to time, certainly the words are behind me, and uh, they will be for a brief time, then they'll go away. But this is a week in particular where I'd love for you to have your Bibles, uh, where we can just unpack this passage a little bit, look at some key words and return to it again and again and again. This morning, we're continuing in our series on the life of David. For those of you that are visiting, we've been in this series now, I think about 11 weeks. This is our 12th week, I think, uh, just jumping through uh, the life of David, uh, looking at this man after God's own heart and uh, how the Lord dealt with him and um, how we can be pointed to Jesus through David, how we can learn from David's life. The bulk of our study has been in second or first and second Samuel, uh, the narrative about David's life. Well, this morning we turn away from that narrative and instead turn to the poetry of the Psalter. And I've always tried in this series to tie in uh, David's poetic response to a lot of the things that he was going through in his life as we've examined the things in his life. But this morning, we, we just go right to the psalm because Psalm 51 is very clearly the fruit of 2 Samuel 11 and 12. So it's not that the story is not important. It is important. I'm going to review it in just a moment, but it's that this is the fruit. This is what the Lord wants us to see and to learn from and to think on again this morning as his people. So before we read it, I just want to review how we got to this point. Many of you remember and know the story well. If the story of David and Bathsheba were a movie, you wouldn't watch it. You probably wouldn't watch it. You certainly wouldn't let your kids watch it. But it's actually in the Bible. A naked woman, a night of passion, the calculated and deliberate betrayal of a friend that results in a murder. King David is at the center of this story. King David is at the height of his success. He's so successful in his kingship, in his military campaigns, that he's not even going on all of them anymore. And so here sits David on one warm spring evening while his army fights the Ammonites far away And he notices in the distance a beautiful woman bathing. He inquires, who is this woman? Well, David, it's one of your soldiers' wives. David says, I must have her. And have her, he does. A secret night of passion might go undetected, but when she gets pregnant, things get complicated. But David has a plan. 
David has a plan. He summons her husband Uriah back from battle, encouraging him to go home and, and to sleep with his wife. Sure, the child might be born with David's eyes, but there's no DNA test. So they're not going to be able to trace it to David. But Uriah, who we already feel for in this situation, endears himself to us even more. Because his loyalty and honor mean that he refuses to enjoy himself while his fellow countrymen, while his fellow soldiers fight on the battlefield. But David, unrelenting in his cruelty, has a plan B. He uses the power of his position and he sends Uriah to his death by putting him on the front lines and and having the army pull back where Uriah is left to be slaughtered and the plan works. Uriah is killed. The cover-up is complete. David can move on. Or so he thinks. Because God's Word tells us in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 that God isn't finished with him yet. God is not content to let David harden in his sin. And so God sends his prophet, the prophet Nathan, to tell David what seems like an innocent story about a little lamb that gets unjustly stolen from its owner. And it opens David's eyes to his grievous ways. And it leads him to a place. And that place is Psalm 51. And that's what we have before us this morning. That's what I want to unpack this morning for a few minutes. But let's first read it as is our custom. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word, listen as I read Psalm 51, David's cry. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit 
and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's jump right in. Three truths that I want us to meditate on as we walk through this psalm, as we slowly digest David's cry here this morning. The first one is this. We daily need God's mercy. We daily need God's mercy. This is, not a, this is not a popular take, I, I know. We like to think of ourselves as, as capable. When you get right down to it, we're pretty darn good people at the end of the day. Today, through the words and experience of, of one man, Through the mirror of God's Word here in Psalm 51, I think that we get a glimpse of who we really are. But more importantly, we get a glimpse of who God really is. Remember, friends, this is is David. The man after God's own heart. I mean, remember all the goodness that, that Yahweh has shown to David. Well, the kindness that David showed to Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, when we were there just a few weeks ago. So much promise. So much hope. And now this? Do we really think that we are more righteous than David? Do we really think that our communion with God is is richer than David's was? No, I think we, we are all people that are capable of more than we think, harboring seeds of sin like those that blossomed here. We are all in need of God's mercy. When I say that, I'm not just saying that we, we need salvation. I'm not just saying that we need to be saved. That's what, maybe one of the questions that you're asking. Do we really need, daily need God's mercy? I mean, after all, aren't our sins, past, present, and future, aren't they all forgiven in Jesus? Isn't that what coming to faith in Christ is all about? Isn't that what Jesus accomplished? And I would say, absolutely. Your sin, past, present, and future is Paid for. But the fact of the matter is, you feel this in your heart, I feel this in my heart every day, that you're still a sinner. That you keep on sinning and that your nature will never relent. And that sin has its effect not just on your own soul, Not just on relationships with those around you, those whom you sin against, but your relationship with God Himself. 
Remember what Peter told husbands in 1 Peter 3. He said, husband lives with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a correlation in our actions and in our prayers, our relationship, our intimacy with the Lord. And so Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. So what we find here in Psalm 51 with David in his brokenness is David essentially, he he raids the Hebrew dictionary and the Hebrew thesaurus as he cries out to God in mercy. He's going to slowly unpeel what he's done and, and what he needs. And this is important because parents, you, you know this with your kids. When our kids sin against us or against others, we don't merely want them to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We want them to not just say the words, but we want them to understand what they've done, to understand their sin, the gravity and the effects of that sin. Not necessarily to wallow in the sin, but to know what it is. And that's God's desire for us. Verse 17 in this psalm, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And and this is what David models for us here in Psalm 51. So let's slowly unpeel and unpack some of the layers that David says. In verse 1, he cries out concerning his transgressions. That's the English word that's used to translate this Hebrew word. It's a, it's a word that describes crossing a boundary. It's a word that describes open rebellion. You see, David is recognizing, he's acknowledging that his sin was not some inadvertent slip. It was a shake his fist in the air rebellion against God and what he knew God had called him to do. And so he continues in verse 2. And he cries out concerning his iniquity. His, his depravity, depravity of nature. His twisted and crooked character. Verse 5 underscores this and unpacks it. This is built in. This kind of behavior is built into who he is. David recognizes his innate desire to do what is contrary to what God desires. Transgressions, iniquity, we are daily in need of God's mercy. And then he goes on, true awareness of the need of God's mercy is is not just intellectual awareness of sin and an ability to categorize it in appropriate places with appropriate words of depth and meaning, but It's actually an accusing presence. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Our sin grips us and torments us. Psalm 32, which we'll return to a little bit later, he describes his feeling. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, 
Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So David is unpeeling what his sin consists of. He's unpacking the effect that it had on him when he hid it. And he also explains to us that his sin is ultimately treason, right? Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Did David sin against Bathsheba? Absolutely. Did David sin against Uriah? Absolutely. Did David sin against the nation of Israel? Absolutely. But he did all of this ultimately trampling on the law of God. Coveting what was not his. Stealing her. Committing adultery. Murdering her husband. You see, David knows that his ultimate beef, his ultimate confession, his ultimate humility is due to God. And that's why we, every week, as Theo led us earlier, every week we spend time corporately crying out to God, confessing our sin. And it's good that we do that. It's good that you're here each week to do that. But it's not even enough. Because we daily need God's mercy. We may not have committed murder and adultery. but We have not loved as we ought. We have not served as we ought. We have been selfish. We have hated others in our hearts. We have not feared our God as we ought. We have feared the opinions and been driven by those around us. We have not given Him glory as we ought, but we have lived as if we didn't need Him and as if we've accomplished what it is that we've accomplished. Of course, we could go on and on. We are a people in need of God's mercy. That's the bad news. But the good news is what David points us to here is that David is far from despair in this psalm. Do you notice that? David displays his confident hope in how the Lord is going to respond to him. Even in the midst of his brokenness, even in the midst of unpacking and grabbing all these words, he is confident in God's mercy. And that's the second truth, is that God delights to show mercy. He does. God delights to show mercy. How can a holy God whose judgments against sin are just pardon a man who has just violated his law? It's because of his hesed. That word, there it is again. Translated here as steadfast love. Have mercy on me because of your chesed. This is is covenantal, relational language, claiming the promises that Yahweh has entered into as He has condescended and entered into relationship with David. And for us, as we've talked about, we don't need to unpack that word more than we have already in this series, but for us, God's chesed has come in Jesus Christ. Through the blood of the new covenant, God delights to show His people 
mercy. And so David, David comes out of this slog of despair as he has picked all these words, unpacking the depth of his sin. He comes out of this slog of despair and has a barrage of requests that all flow from the character of God and what he knows to be true about who God is. Each picture vividly gives us a glimpse of the wonder of God's grace. He cries out, blot out my transgressions. He asks that his sin be forget, forgotten, wiped away, recorded in a book, only that it would be stricken from the record forever. Wash me, cleanse me, purge me, he says, like dirty clothes that need to be laundered. In the Hebrew language, this is more than just like an outward rinsing. This is a violent cleansing like we might see in our wash machines. Things getting rattled and shaken. One commentator wrote, it is as if David prayed, wash me, beat me, tread me down, do anything with me if only these foul stains are melted from the texture of my soul. Blot out. Wash, cleanse, and purge me. Create in me, he says in verse 10. He uses the Hebrew word bara here, which, which is used in Genesis chapter 1. It's describing something that only God himself can do. We can't just work harder. We can't just do better. That's not what David prays. Create in me something new, something different. I need supernatural intervention to put aside what I have fallen into. And then cast me not. Take not your presence from me. Here David asks that the consequences of his sin not not come crashing down on him. And I don't think this is David concerned about losing his salvation. This is simply the anxiety of one who knows that he has grossly offended his God and and he has no reason. He has no deserving of mercy, but he deserves to be stripped bare. Probably in the context of this comment too is David's concern about Saul. And about how the Lord removed his spirit from Saul. And then finally, he says, Restore to me the joy. Grant me a willing spirit in verse 12. David asked that the clouds would be rolled away, that he might again gaze at the wonder of grace, because with obedience comes joy. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says that in John 15, if you obey my commands and will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And so yes, you daily need, I daily need God's mercy. We need to see our sin. We need to unpack our sin. But we need to remember that God delights to show us mercy. That God desires your joy and my joy in Him. And that brings us to the last truth that I want us to think about very briefly. It's modeled for us here in verses 13 through 19 with David. 
And it's simply this, true repentance. True repentance. That's what this is, Psalm 51. Crying out to God for forgiveness. Resolving. Pleading for the grace to walk in a different direction. True repentance transforms. True repentance transforms. That's what David shows us here. When when we're given the gift, brothers and sisters, of being able to see our sin for what it is, and seeing God's mercy and God's heart for what it is. And when those two things come together by His grace, God uses that experience. He does so with David. David wasn't content with pardon alone. He wanted God's pardon to change him, to keep him humble, to keep him eager to speak of and to share the forgiveness that he's enjoyed through God's steadfast love. Verse 13, what does he say? Then I will teach transgressors your way. David wants this rock-bottom experience to be used by the Lord to point others in a different direction. And we actually have the fruit of that prayer too. It's Psalm 32. A psalm that David writes to be used in congregational worship, fulfilling this promise to the Lord that He will teach transgressors the way of life as He Himself has been led in the way of life. We've seen transformed lives. They're littered all over the pages of the Bible. Paul, in Acts chapter 9, they said, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem? And yet, here he is as one transformed. True repentance transforms. It's a horrible story in the life of David, but it's a beautiful result in this song, Psalm 51. Because it's a reminder for us, brothers and sisters, to see the depth of our sin, but to remember that God delights in a broken spirit. Do you see your sin? Do you see the mercy of God which which far overshadows it? I hope you do because God wants you to know the joy of forgiveness that is yours, even in your need. And He wants it to ultimately change you, to humble you. Praise the Lord. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we... We grieve as we recall this story, as we think of the the horrible nature of it, the evil of the scheming and the lust and the selfishness and the betrayal. And Father, how good though it is to be brought from that 
to a place of healing, to a place of wholeness, to the place that David models for us. Oh God, we were once a people who had not received mercy. But now, through Jesus our Lord, we have received mercy. And so I pray this morning as we meditate upon this truth, that you would deepen in us both our understanding of ourselves, but also the, the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of the love of Jesus for us. Oh, Holy Spirit, take this word, plant it deep in the hearts of your people that it might transform them, that the gospel might do its work for the glory of your name and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.